Well, how many of you love a good story? May love a good story? We all love a good story, don't we? Doesn't matter if you're six or 66. You tell a good story in the right way, you're going to have the attention of children, teens, and even adults. And we, we remember good stories, don't we? How many of you remember stories you were told growing up? Could probably, if we had time, tell them today. Yeah. They're very, very memorable. They, they stick. I think this is one of the reasons why Jesus spoke in parables. Jesus knew this about us. Storing is a, a very effective way that Jesus taught. Jesus, Jesus knew how we learned. He knew that in an effective way for his points to be internalized and remembered is through parables. In fact, that word parable means to throw alongside. And, and what that, why, why they're called parables is because parables are truths that are thrown alongside stories so that we remember those truths. That's one of, the, one of the reasons Jesus gave for why he spoke in parables. So we're going to look at a parable this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, continuing our study through Luke. Today we're going to be looking at the parable of the rich fool. The parable of the rich fool. And let me remind you once again... We've talked about this when we did our study through parables and when we've looked at parables. One of the key ways to determining what Jesus is saying in a parable is to examine the context surrounding the parable. Where was Jesus? Who was he talking to? What question was asked? What was said or what was observed that prompted him to say what he did? If you can answer those questions, you'll be well on your way to determining the point of the parable. And when we do that here, the point of the parable becomes crystal clear. Notice what happens right before this parable is told, beginning in verse 13 of Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse, verses 13 through 16. Look at it. <clears throat> Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable. So notice here the phrase, Jesus told them a parable happens after these events occur here in verses 13 and 14. Jesus is teaching. He is imparting wisdom to his disciples, right? He's warning them about Pharisaism, the dangers of, of self-righteousness and, and hypocrisy. He is also instructing them when they stand for him, while they'll be persecuted, they're not to let that fear of man be greater than their fear of God and, and, and that suffering to, to cause them to question the, the, the love and care and concern for God. And he's also calling for them to be a, a bold witness for him. And while Jesus is teaching his disciples, we know that there's a larger crowd there, right? 
because when they're on their way to Jerusalem, there are thousands that gather. They're trampling one another to get to Jesus. At first, he's just instructing his disciples, but then someone from the crowd says something. Notice what he says. He says, teacher, tell my brother to, invite, to divide the inheritance with me. Now, this is a common issue in this day as it is today. And normally, these types of financial issues between the family in a Jewish home in this day, they did not want to take it to the civil court to end up before a Gentile judge. So oftentimes, they would bring these matters to the rabbi, okay? So they view Jesus as a rabbi. He's going to bring this request to him, right? And, and so this was very common in this day. This was a common request, but Jesus gives a very unusual response. Look again how he responds, verse 14. Jesus says, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? In other words, Jesus is saying the issues you're having with your brother about a family inheritance is not my main concern. That's not the reason I'm here. While rabbis in the past have, have fielded these requests, Jesus says, I'm not doing that. He did not leave the riches of heaven to take on flesh, to just come down and be your average run-of-the-mill rabbi who was just running around dealing in matters of, of petty family disputes. We'll see in a minute, he came to judge every man and woman in matters of eternal significance. Now, Jesus is not dismissing this man here. He doesn't turn his back on him. Instead, he addresses an issue that is a matter of concern that this man doesn't see. He is addressing something that is significant and is the focus of his earthly ministry. It is the reason why he left the riches of heaven and came to earth and took on flesh. It is the condition of this man's heart. So he addresses the deeper issue, verse 15. And he said to them, take care. Now notice he's speaking to the crowd now, not just this man. And he said to them, take care. And be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So notice here, Jesus not only tells this man, he tells the crowd gathered, be on guard against covetousness. In the NIV and ASB it says against greed. Greed of every form, no matter the degree. You know what greed is? Greed can simply be described as an excessive desire for wealth and material possessions, but it can also be simply defined in this way. It's a desire for wealth that lacks the kingdom of God as its motivation. A desire for wealth that lacks the kingdom of God as its motivation. H.A. Ironside said this in his commentary on Luke. Look at this quote on the screen. Covetousness is a desire to grasp that which God has withheld from us, though he may have given it to others. This is not only love for money, this is important, 
but it is also the attempt to find satisfaction in temporal things. That's this man's problem. So Jesus' concern is not about this man getting his. It's not about this man getting paid. It's about addressing the issue of this man's heart. Think about it. For there to be a family inheritance up for grabs, that means there must have been a death in the family, right? That doesn't seem to concern this man all that much. He is not coming to Jesus seeking answers to the most important questions in life, like what happens when one dies? What about life after death? Questions about living in this broken world filled with with pain and sorrow, sickness and death, losses and, and crosses. No, he is coming to Jesus about this issue of him getting his, about him getting paid. Him getting what he believes he is owed. And, and by the way, legally, he might have been owed that. He might have had the right to the money he was wanting. But Jesus doesn't even address that. Why? He answers, because life, one's life, does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus lets this man know. He lets us know. Life is so much more than about where you live, the money you make, the car you drive, what you have, the house you live in. We have been created by God in His image to be His image bearers. We have been created for God's glory. Our life is to be all about knowing God, growing in godliness, and living our lives, the lives that he gives us, and using the things that he blesses us with for his glory. That's the point. If we are falling short in these areas, get this, we are wasting our lives. So Jesus is basically saying here, Sir, I'm not ultimately concerned about whether or not you get the money you think you're entitled to by your family. That is not my ultimate concern. That's not the reason I'm here. I am concerned about a bigger, deeper spiritual issue, the issue of your covetous and greedy heart. I'm concerned about the fact you're wasting your life pursuing earthly things, thinking that by acquiring those things, that will bring you the happiness you so desperately want, when all that will do will cause you to forfeit a life of true purpose and joy that comes from living life for God and for His glory. And to further show this man his error, he tells a parable. Look at it, beginning in verse 16. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, 
whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now before we, we dig in and study this parable, I want you to notice something unique right off the bat here about this parable. There's only one character in this parable. That's unique. It's a rich man. He's got a lot of land. And the land that he has is plentiful. It says the, the land of the rich man produced plentifully. He has so much produce, his land is so plentiful that he has nowhere to store his crops. So he decides to tear down the barns that he has and build larger ones to store all his stuff. Now that sounds like a great problem to have, doesn't it? I bet if you were telling his story in the world today, there would be many who were envious of him. His land produced. It produced plentifully Productive. Many in ancient Jewish culture would argue at this time that this man had the Lord's blessing. Favor in this day was often measured by whether one farmed a plentiful land. It also seems like this man has wisdom. According to the world, he knows how to store up his wealth. So what's the problem? Why does God say in verse 20, fool? Why do we call this, this parable the parable of the rich fool? What's going on here? Well, we find two problems that we're going to look at, two issues with the rich man. One is the rich man's view of himself, and two is the rich man's view of his stuff. First, let's... Look at the rich man's view of himself. First problem. Notice how many times I and my is used here. Beginning in verse 17. What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store up all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods, laid up for many years, relax, eat, drink, be merry. A lot of I's and my's in there, isn't it? You see that? This man is focused on himself. And he thinks that all the stuff that he has is his. All that he's worked so hard for, it's, it's all his. He fails to see that God is the one who ultimately owns this land. God is the one who has blessed him with the fruits from his land. All that he has received is received from God. He's not the owner. He's the steward. He's the manager. And one day, he is going to have to give an account to God for what he does or does not do with the riches that God has given him. The man's problem is he is solely focused upon himself. God is not a part of this man's life in any way. And the reason why we know is because he never comes up in this man's conversation. It's all about him. He fails to realize that he doesn't ultimately own anything and that he must give an account for everything he has and what he has done with what God has blessed him with. Guess what? Same is true 
for all of us. We own nothing. Some of you are running down your minds. Well, I worked hard for this. I went to school. I, I, I worked hard at school and then I've worked hard for what I have. Who gave you the mind that you have? Who gave you the ability that you have? You didn't do that. God did. Everything you have has been gifted you, given to you by God. We're told that crystal clear in Scripture. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Everything is God's. Therefore, everything we have has been given to us by Him, and one day we will have to answer for how we used what He gave us. Very clear. So the question for you this morning is very, very simple. The application is simple here, and we'll make it again and again. What are you doing with what God has given you? One day you're going to have to answer for it, what you did with your time. You're going to have to give an account for what you did for your stuff, how you used the money he blessed you with. How we spent the hours God gave us. How we used the riches He has blessed us with. How are you using your time? Are you making your time here count for God and for His kingdom? Are you being rich toward God and rich toward others or just rich toward yourself? The rich man was focused on himself. He served himself during his time on earth. He was not busy serving the Lord. He was rich toward himself, not toward God, and he wasted his life. Second point. Notice also, not only the rich man's view of himself was flawed, but notice the rich man's view of his stuff was also flawed. We learn in the latter half of this parable, that he loves and cherishes his stuff more than anything, and he truly believes that that is what is going to give him lasting happiness, which is why he hoards away his wealth. Notice what he does to keep it secure. He builds bigger storehouses, bigger barns to store all his stuff. Why? What's his motivation? We learn here, verse 19, here it is. So I can say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. This is this man's motivation. He wants to house all his stuff so he can have his goods laid up for years so he can relax and eat and drink and be merry. He wants to hoard up all his stuff so he can just sit back and do nothing. Now, Jesus is not rebuking this man for saving, okay? Saving is not a bad thing. There's wisdom in saving. God is rebuking this man for the motivation behind saving his stuff. This man wants to save his stuff, not to bring glory to God in other ways and be a blessing to others, but he wants to save it up for selfish reasons. 
He wants to hoard his wealth away so he can just take care of himself, be able to lay up and relax and indulge himself and just waste his life away. And he believes that that is what is going to satisfy that itch he has. It's going to bring him the happiness he so longs for. That's why Jesus rebukes him. He's more focused on himself than God, more focused on himself than others. He wants to store up his wealth so he can leisurely enjoy the fruits of his labor the rest of his days. He believes this will bring him happiness long-term, joy everlasting. And again, the problem with that perspective is, as a result, he is failing to live the life the Creator created him to live. Created him to live, created us to live for him, for his glory, for his purposes. The greatest commands God placed on us is to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. And he has also made a way, the only way for us to be restored to him and made new so that we would live our lives outwardly in this way for him by sending his son. He sent him to live and die and rise again for us so that we who trust in Christ alone for salvation can be forgiven and restored to God. We through faith alone in Christ alone are able to be, to be forgiven of sin, made right with God. And it's only through that relationship that we find true and lasting happiness. Many miss it. And as a result, they waste their life. It's tragic. God has not blessed us so that we can then take it and hoard it away and kick back the rest of our days and indulge ourselves. It doesn't lead to happiness that lasts. It does not bring glory to Him, yet many are on that path. What a timely parable for us today, right? We see many pursuing this American dream. In the way they're pursuing it, it's an American tragedy. How are you using your time, your money, the resources God has given you? Again, same application. Are you using them to bring glory to God, to be a blessing to others? Pray for opportunity. Be that and do that. Look at verse 20. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Sad end to this parable, isn't it? This man spent all of his time, all of his energy, building up these storehouses to treasure up treasures on earth, to hoard away his wealth so he could enjoy his retirement. And God says, you fool, your dying day is today. And the things you have stored up, whose will they be? You see, we don't own anything. I can say that confidently today because one day we're all going to take a dirt nap and the stuff we have is going to go to someone else. Is it not? Solomon said that. He said it's going to go to someone else who didn't work hard for it, and they're going to squander it. He just rains on the American dream. 
right there, doesn't he? George Strait said it pretty good. Don't bring nothing with you here. You can't take nothing back. I ain't never seen a hearse with a luggage rack. That's right, George. Amen. The Bidianya Buile says this in his commentary on Luke. How about that? I go from George Strait to Thabiti. We're covering everybody today. Look at this quote up here from his commentary on Luke. Really good. Some people think the good life is relaxing, eating, drinking, and being married. But before we know it, God will call us all to the judgment seat. He will require our souls of us, and we must give an account for how we lived. People who define life by what they possessed and enjoyed will be called fools. It is foolish to think our lives will not end. It is foolish to think our lives are defined by what we have. It's foolish. The tragedy for one to spend their days treasuring up treasures, gathering up stuff, hoarding away wealth, because in the end they die the same as the poor person. Same end. Solomon told us that too. Read Ecclesiastes. I should have put that in our scripture reading this week. It's true. And if all they have to show is the material wealth that they have gathered in this life, they'll have nothing to show because they don't own it. It goes to someone else. That's a waste. And get this. That's not even the worst part. That's not the greatest tragedy here. The worst part of this tragedy is not that the man leaves all his stuff behind to go to someone else. The tragedy is he misses out on something even greater. He misses out on heavenly riches. He misses out on a life lived with the Lord, with His people. A life lived in His presence for all eternity. That's the greatest tragedy. Again, Ironside says this in his commentary on Luke. Look at it. The covetous man goes out into eternity to meet the God whom he has ignored, to meet the God who has showered mercy upon him all his life, but who has never received a thought of gratitude. He goes out into eternity to face the Lord Jesus whose claims he had never recognized. He has been so busy laying up treasures for himself on earth that he has made no provision for eternity. No man is rich, whatever his wealth may be, however vast his lands and estates may be, if he does not know the Lord Jesus Christ. End quote. End of story. That right there is true. That is true. Few come to this understanding. That is wise. That's godly wisdom. Blessed is the one. Blessed is the one who knows it and responds accordingly. What we have in this parable that Jesus has given us is a, is a negative example. The, the rich man, the rich fool, not being rich toward God and his kingdom. He's trying to gain the whole world 
for his sake, and in the process, he forfeits his own soul. It's a tragedy, and that story is being told again and again and again on a daily basis. Tragic. Jesus is basically telling us, don't be like the rich fool. Don't be like the rich fool who's rich toward himself and not rich toward God and others. That's the point of the parable. Look at this. You can write this down. We'll leave it up for just a minute. The main point of this parable is really simple. It's this. Do not live for self. Live for God. Do not serve the kingdom of self. Serve the kingdom of God. We're to be like the Matthew 6.33 man. We're to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We're to put first things first. We're to be rich toward God and rich toward others. Some will say, well, how do I become that? How do I become the, the, the Matthew 6.33 man? Because if we're being honest now, I have to admit that I'm, I'm more like the rich guy. I'm more like the rich fool. Many of us were honest, we would have to admit that. How do we become like the Matthew 6.33 man? Well, believers, for us, we need the help of the Holy Spirit who is at work within us to will and to work, to mold us and to make us more into the Matthew 6.33 man. We must know by faith that He is in us and He gives us that power and we must trust in Him, rely upon Him and work out what He's working within us. We need help from him so that we can follow the example of the perfect man, the ultimate man, the, the selfless man, the true Matthew 6.33 man, the kingdom of God man, the God man, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Matthew 6.33 man. Jesus is the antithesis, the exact opposite of the rich fool. The rich fool hoarded his wealth. Jesus laid his wealth aside. For us. 2 Corinthians 8 9 very clearly says this. Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus laid wealth aside. Though he was rich, he became poor, so that we through his poverty might become rich. That's the gospel right there, folks. See, Jesus is the opposite of the rich fool. The rich fool was wealthy, treasured up treasure, stored up his wealth for his sakes. Jesus, though he was wealthy, God the Son, the King of kings, eternally wealthy, did not store up his wealth. He laid it aside for our sakes. We're told he emptied himself by becoming one of us, by taking on flesh, Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. And he became a lowly one of us. A son of a carpenter from Nazareth, he became poor and he, he was obedient to God, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. While he did not deserve to die, he was the perfect man. He laid his life down willingly in our place as our perfect substitute and sacrifice. He came to do that for us. Why go from wealth to poverty, from riches to rags, from heavenly life to earthly life to death? Why? Paul tells us. For your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. He did it for you and for me. He did it for us. Christ, 
took on poverty for us so that we might become rich in glory. Paul's talking about true riches, spiritual wealth, eternal wealth in Christ. So the question I want to leave you with today, and for those listening online, are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? Is Christ Lord of your life? Is he your treasure? Have you given your life up and over to him? Have you forsaken all to to give your life to him? Have you surrendered to him as Lord? If not, this is your invitation this morning. Forsake your sin. Fall before King Jesus, the King of God's kingdom, and be saved. Let's pray together.